just, it's groundbreaking enough to just ask a student questions about themselves and give them access to that information. That's already groundbreaking. So if I could just get in there, I believe that there's so much more potential to then build on top of that. But just like you said, if I can give every student that experience and no matter what kind of learning environment they're in, that to me is enough. And that is actually not difficult to get into schools because we don't have any access to the data. We don't own the data. We don't have information with the data. The school owns the data. The student owns the data. It's very um, helpful for the student and for the teacher. And it takes five minutes and it's all built in in a system that's, that's quite easy to navigate. so important that the student owns the data. Everywhere else in AI, a network, a big tech company, somebody is always owning the data. And what they do with it is very different than what you as a student or learner throughout life might do with the educational experiences. And what you just heard from Amanda Slavin, one of the founders of Learning Frequency, is what we're talking about in season two. Yes, season two, episode number 26 of the AI Optimist Organic AI Dynamic NFT. When I talk with Amanda, I got a takeaway of what this technology, again, starting with how it can serve students and teachers and parents and give them ownership and control of the data because this is such important data that that actually frees them to be able to use it pretty much anywhere, including maybe down the road in games, not right now. So think about this. This is from one of the students who's giving feedback on the Learning Frequency product. Understanding how I learn helps me because it helps me understand what I can do, not what I can't do. Wow, so much is happening in education with AI, and this is obviously an NFT working with a frequency bot and AI on the front end to update a treasure trove of learning experiences. And as Amanda shares, inspired by a quote that just came up, there is no CEO in the rainforest. You can create, Tony used to say, there's no, there's no CEO of a rainforest. His whole thing was around self-organization. And he used to say the best CEO, you know, sets the temperature in the greenhouse you know, creates the conditions for the plants to grow. And I didn't even realize that that is literally what I'm doing. I'm creating a plan for teachers to set the temperature. Here's things you can do just to create a more adaptive adaptive learning environment. And then I'm letting the plants with their own unique, maybe they have a special regimen for sunlight or rain or they need something specific. They take their their growth into their own hands. And so it's this really op, this huge opportunity to have a new language between teachers and students where it doesn't just fall on the teacher and teachers can actually remind students of things that they can do to help their own learning. So I'm working with about 10 schools right now uh, in the UK, US, and Canada. And I'm also working with um, Pope. So Pope Francis has a non-denominational education foundation. It's an out-of-school program. It's incredible. It's called Scholas. Um, and it is a program where he takes, you know, where they take um, hundreds of students from all different areas, all different backgrounds, and they bring them together for between three to six days. And they teach them this, this culture of encounter, what it means to work together, to collaborate, to solve real world problems, and to be the voice of those problems, to really, again, to each have an individual voice. And so I'm working with them and rolling out frequency bots to 
Uh, it will be about 8,000 students. And so that's something that, again, is a bit, quote unquote, easier because it's non-traditional. I will now say in terms of more traditional environments. So what I'm finding, and again, I, I go back to the fact that often ed tech entrepreneurs solve for this 1% and don't actually work with teachers and schools because of exactly what you just said. So what I'm finding is that those who get it, get it, and they are the biggest ambassadors and um, advocates for this product. Now we've been into a little bit about what learning frequency is. I started working with Amanda to break down how does this work for students first? How do they actually use this? I mean, how does this grow with them? How do they create it? And how do they keep control and ownership of the data? I'm a student. I go into learning frequency. I have my bot. I've done this manually with my teacher. This is what represents me as a learner. I get a survey that asks, what statement do you feel about this lesson? I choose... Um, it was really confusing. That's that on the back end. That's level two. Mm -hmm. My teacher sees that it's level two, and what will actually happen is when I sign back onto learning frequency, I will get strategies and tactics based on messaging, because that's what level two is, and that will then help me to determine. Okay, I'm confused by the messaging. What are the strategies in place that will help me? understand messaging more clearly. And then next week, I will take that survey again, and the teacher can actually see if it worked or didn't work. No, I'm still at two. Okay, we need to figure out what are better strategies for this person in terms of confusion. Wait, now I've gone up to four. Great, those strategies worked. Let's talk to that student and say, hey, remember when you were confused by the messaging? Do you know what worked? Talking to your to the kid next, next to you. Go to your frequency bot, learn about your strategies, and take learning into your own hands. So the offline experience right now is a self-assessed survey based on statements, not just based on this random number that kids do not understand in any capacity. How do teachers use this? I love how students can use it. And students actually have a flexibility to put this into so many different learning places, learning channels that they use, even hopefully even games. But how do teachers actually use this? So you say, how do teachers use this? Some schools that are really, really excited, I will give them the whole pitch. I'll say, let's do the bots, let's do the questionnaires, you know, like, let's do the engagement surveys, let's have the personalized plans, let's have your students print them out, let's use them throughout the year, let's do an annual report at the end of the year, they'll get a new bot, let's go all the way. Some schools that don't have this time or maybe don't they don't understand the product fully or they don't even under the, the NFT, there's just, I yeah. say, let's give them a bot and let's do a lesson plan that integrates this knowledge and information where students can reflect, can share with other students, um, and can understand themselves again as a learner, even just with, because just it's groundbreaking enough to just ask a student questions about themselves and give them access to that information. That's already groundbreaking. So if I could just get in there, I believe that there's so much more potential to then build on top of that. But just like you said, if I can give every student that experience and no matter what kind of learning environment they're in, that to me is enough. And that is actually not difficult to get into schools because we don't have any access to the data. We don't own the data. We don't have information with the data. The school owns the data. The student owns the data. It's very um, helpful for the student and for the teacher. And it takes five minutes and it's all built in in a system that's, that's quite easy to navigate. But the whole idea of a smart contract, not literally here, I know we're not being financial, but you'll actually be able to negotiate and use this information for yourself not only to help yourself, 
But to get some incentive award, has that like I'm not saying smart contracts, but maybe yes, fancy, it is a smart contract. Factor. Yes, nice. We have yes, so we actually have one of the most unique smart contracts um, there is because we so most smart contracts and most NFT collections are value valuable because there's a limited amount of them, and so you know there's thousands of them because they each need to be unique. There needs to be unique identifiers that make it non fungible, that make it individual. And so the thing about our collection is that there is no limitation on how many NFTs can be created. The only quote unquote limitation is that it has to be minted and it has to be created on our platform. So we're the only platform that I know in existence that, and this is where the provisional patent comes in, that you can actually fill out a questionnaire and it pops out an NFT for you that you own. There is a huge opportunity to your point, once you own your own information, what you want to do with that information. Right now, literally at Skolas, a young teenager said, so can I sell this? I said, no, that's the whole point. You don't want to sell it. You need to keep it. You need to understand that your data is valuable, that you are valuable, that that's, that's the whole thing, right? That our way of thinking is, well, let's, what can we do with it? Let's sell our data. Let's have someone else own our data. Why do we need to? And so eventually, especially with new web, with web three games and on, on the blockchain with, with games, you will be able to, first of all, have a game that is created for you as a learner. You will be able to decide, okay, I want to give them access to this type of data. I want to be able to create a one-to-one relationship with this game. Okay. I want, so there will be a token experiences where you get paid for that information. There will be experiences where you can use certain aspects of your bot to plug into different types of learning environments based on the way that you learn. And so that's exactly right. When, when it's based on a smart contract, the smart contract, this is not just a picture. This picture holds data. This data can eventually have be transaction transacted with mm-hmm. based on what you feel is the right way to transact. But all of that is in order to be GDPR compliant and FERPA compliant and COPA compliant, right now we give frequency bots to learners. It's all built within platform. A smart contract built in with your learning experience that you could negotiate getting sort of benefits, not selling it. It's interesting. There's constantly the point of why would you sell your data? If you sell your data, AI algorithms tend to optimize for stuff that I would say it always irritates you. It's not evil, but it's certainly, if it's treated as an ad unit, as most of the big tech networks do, it's very different than what Amanda is approaching here with learning frequency, which is going to students, obviously helping students and teachers. And it's a, it's a whole different, obviously, feel because what gets optimized is human, not just behavior, but understanding of what they're doing. And so now let's jump into a little looking at Okay, we've got this learning frequency. How some of the impacts and some of the directions that may go, beginning with our definition of success. Really interesting point of view of how we might learn to adapt the end goal, which often was in many cultures going to college. And it seems like maybe there's a lot more going on. This is quite controversial, but I think we need to replace the end goal of what success means, which is college. I think that we have a massive problem with the fact that the only quote unquote way that we see success in so many circles and circumstances is for our kids to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, get into significant debt, have them go to a university and quote unquote, get a good job. And I think we have to break apart the entire system and create a new portfolio of learning, a new metric of success rather than standardized tests, rather than Harvard, 
rather than Goldman Sachs and McKinsey. And to me, that is validating that learning happens however and wherever. And so I don't want to replace the SATs, but I want to create a portfolio for a learner where they can look at themselves and they can say, okay, maybe I'm not the best at math and maybe my GCSEs in, in England didn't go well, or maybe my SATs in America didn't go well, but I'm really good at this, this, and this, and this is where I've learned. And now I'm going to apply for jobs, showing them these skill sets outside of just this diploma. So I don't think there's anything wrong. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with colleges. I just think that we need to, everything that we have is so linear and I, and we're so, what is the, we, we have blinders on and I think we need to get a bit more um, out of the box with the way that we think about success and learning. One of the biggest issues that comes up is upskilling, getting people educated on how to use AI, how to use these various tools and learning frequencies going right into the very learning institutions, sort of progressive independent organizations all around the world in many different cultures. And the skills that they teach are what some would call, and let me paraphrase Amanda, teach children the skills they need to embrace the human skills, which some people call power skills. Others call them soft skills. We're talking about empathy, compassion, critical thinking, being part of a team, collaborating. And as Amanda says, all of these are unbelievably important teach children the skills that they need to embrace the human skills, which some people call power skills, some people call soft skills, empathy, compassion, again, critical thinking, being able to team, teamwork, collaboration, all of these skills that we say are unbelievably important in the workplace, but do not allow for in the classroom, because we are still using an industrial revolution output model where talk in only when you're spoken to, raise your hand, sit still all day. And then these kids get into the real world and we're like, well, why aren't you solving problems? Or why don't you have, why aren't you self, you know, self-initiation? And why aren't you self-sufficient? And why don't you understand how to do these things? And why can't you use it? And it is so unfair to these kids. And so the way that teachers can use this and the way that teachers are using this is so there's, this is a real example. A teacher used this information. She had fi- they had five students, um, and so she chose five students to focus on. And one of the students uh, wasn't able to finish their work. Literally, almost every single day, they were not able to finish their work. And so the teacher looked at the student's frequency bot, and in one of the answers, the fr- it sh- she actually said that she gets really distracted when it's too noisy. And that she would prefer to have noise-canceling headphones as one of the ways to be able to prevent that distraction. And so the teacher said, I could just give her noise-canceling headphones. And then the teacher remembered, again, she has 25 students, that this student kept coming up to her and saying, it's really noisy. It's really hard for me to concentrate. And this was a student that learned about their own engagement. I have a quote from one of the students that said, you know, help, help understanding how I learn helps me because it helps me understand what I can do and not what I can't do. And so that is the power. The teachers use this by having students be able to look at themselves and say, these are small things that are possible. These are small changes that can be made for every single student. You know, you try to teach people about like what jobs will come up with AI, like we all have a laundry list of what will come up and nobody really has the answer. In fact, the answer is 
a lot of the jobs that exist today may not be around. I won't say they all get eliminated, but a lot of entry-level data pushing around, call answering, things that can be automated. Okay. But the jobs that we're talking about, the skills, they have to learn these skills to be able to collaborate and work together because it's going to be a very, very different job market. And as it evolves, listen to what might happen and also how we can reverse, at least in the U.S., the inability to really give teachers the tools, the intelligence and the time to do teaching and not get overloaded by trying to be everything for everyone as the current system sort of kind of does in the public schools. Take a listen. The jobs that we have now were not, did not exist when we were eight. The jobs that eight-year-olds now can have access to, and re- my son, who's three, when you ask my son what he wants to be, this is not an exaggeration, he says an entrepreneur. When my parents said to him, what does an entrepreneur do? He says, anything I want. And that is the reality for these kids, if we set them up to be able to think like that and then do something about it, not just be privileged and say, oh, anything I want. Okay, well, how are you going to get to anything you want? You're going to work. And these are the paths to get there. It's not just one path. I mean, I think in America, we teach, we treat teachers like service providers and that they work for us. And that is so unfair to them. They give so much of their life and they're, they dedicate their entire lives to Um, And they have to be everything for everyone right now. It's really problematic because our world has gotten much bigger. The classroom has gotten much bigger with social media and the internet. And we still, because in America specifically, the only service that we actually provide to our people is school. And that's not even really a great service in terms of our 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 current <laughs> infrastructure and so we expect teachers to do everything we expect them to be mental health providers we expect them to you know teach kids how to balance a checkbook we expect teachers to to you know uh, have them understand from just regular again subject area expertise we we are expecting them to respond accordingly to all of the things that our kids are learning throughout in games on social media, on YouTube, the school has to still be this entity that is everything for everyone. And it is so unfair to teachers. So I just have to say, yes, teachers should be the highest paid profession. It is so unfair the way that we currently teach, treat teachers. I have to just say that. So again, to me, the problem is that in a public school system in America, teachers have 25 to 30 students. And it is impossible for them to individualize learning and personalize learning. Yes, with AI, if we teach, if we actually work with teachers to determine how they need to use AI to make their lives easier, they could hopefully have more quality of time with their students and have AI help with some of the, you know, the work that they need to do that is more more manual. But until that happens, we're we're not there yet. Let's finish up this fascinating pod interview with Amanda by looking at like, how can somebody use an NFT? And what if that, what if her company goes away like any startup? It's just in its early days. Maybe it goes away. And also, what might the future look like in education and things if things go right? And if actually this whole world of gaming possibly opens? This one's more for the imagination. And in season two, we want to find breakthroughs that really are groundbreaking. This really is. Yes. And eventually, again, not right now, kids just have this cute bot in platform and that is it. That's where it begins and ends. But eventually, if they wanted to create their own wallet, if they wanted to you know, export this, this NFT asset to their own wallet and represent themselves and be then a part of um, the system of Web3. And so for us, when the student owns this NFT which again, right now it doesn't exist in this regard, but it will eventually, um, a game can transact with that NFT. 
And in our um, smart contract, we can then block if let's just say it's a game that we do not want to interact with our kids uh, or with and when I say our, I mean society, society's children. We actually can block that game from ever transacting with that NFT ever again. And we could burn all of the NFTs and reissue them to the kids. Now, that's really such a different approach. I think about when you're growing up. And people always ask later in life, as I often know, obviously, what, do, what did you think about when you were an eight-year-old? What did you dream of being? And imagine if you actually had that record, not only what you dreamed of being, but your learning style. Different feedback you got from teachers who helped you through the real world, giving feedback and learning and what you were really interested in and finding out that this was possible. And maybe even, fingers crossed, if everything works with what's happening in NFTs and AI, maybe gaming can be integrated into that and add such a different layer where we can actually figure out what's a good game. The AI Optimist. My name's Declan, and I'm done. See you next time. <laughs>